Adult content intended for an adult audience only. All characters engaging in sexual relationships or activities are 18 years old or older. Contains explicit words, thoughts, and ideas. This story was found on a free website and brought to audio form here. I did not write and take no credit for this story. Please visit the link above to further support this writer. X-Ray Vision Part 1 by Elaine Mature I was wound up in my thoughts, going in circles, this day about the same as every other. Walking to the bus stop. Skeletons under the bank building in the cement three, hands bound behind backs, heads back in death agony. Look away, hard to see, though I've seen it a hundred times. Safe deposit boxes filled with guns, cash, fake jewelry. But plugs everywhere. Does every secretary wear them every day? Must help with the tedium. Engine valves fluttering on that truck will need a valve job soon. Tall skinny guy should get that tapeworm dealt with. Breast cancer always tragic. Hand out a flyer, she gives a brief fake smile, stuffs it in her purse. Three high school seniors waiting at the bus stop all three pregnant. Is it a club? A dare? Do they even know? Very happy girls anyway. And what harm? They're having a fine life so far. Old man, artificial heart valve plugging away. Good morning, Mr. Gabriel. Good morning. We've talked many times. Happiest guy out here, knows he's not got long, still takes daily visit to wife and sanitarium, hoping for some flicker of recognition. I love people like him. Young stockbroker with a gun. A courier? What does he think is gonna happen? Maybe that guy in the alley, with a knife. Won't he be surprised if he tries it on the stockbroker? Hard to figure sometimes, foreign object inside someone. She looks like a fashion model, but has a pen light up her large intestine. Turned on? Kinky. Bus driver with hip problem, gonna need a new one by the time he retires. Gives me a tired smile as I get on board, familiar face, I ride several times a week. The bus a parade of medical issues, bad teeth, bad feet, bad posture. Tragic remodeled multiple defense fractures, abuse victim most likely. Incipient strokes from insufficiency in arteries and neck. Get off the bus down by the pier. Dredging built up the shore, one hundreds of feet out from original back under here a scuttled sailing schooner. Looks 18th century, a body in the hold, barrels of lead. Silverware on the galley table. Two cannonballs embedded in the mud, the trail of their brief glorious trajectory traced in the earth where they came to rest on the old bank. Some skirmish, have to look it up some day. Guns, guns everywhere, thrown in the bay then covered by time. Will be the mystery to archaeologists of the future was there a battle here? No, just a long sad history. Under it all, stone hearts of original aboriginal tribes. Pottery sherds by the millions, a blizzard of oyster shells. A favorite food. Smart people, and good for your heart. Look deep under it all, see the long slow beat of a planet's molten heart. A billion years of slow heat and long passion. Getting melancholy. Hard to see so much, and not be able to do anything one-eyed man in the land of the blind and all that. Spend a slow day watching the seals with guts full of plastic, seeing through the waves to the barren seafloor, the stubs of old reefs dead and shriveled. The human litter embedded everywhere like a rash. Brilliant colored patterned seashells, buried in the mud, generations of mollusks. Hot bright turbine engines of jetliners taking off over the bay, people in racks like cattle, enduring. Tankers making their ponderous way down the coast, bored seamen in hot boiler rooms, shirts off. A pair of gay guys madly thrashing in their bunk, working off the stress and boredom with sex. Lunchtime young couples stealing some time, walking among the shrubs away back of the beach, kissing and groping, hands under shirts and in pants. In the changing booths, behind the lifeguard tower, under the pier. One bold couple at it under a blanket on the sand, not fooling anyone, she's scratching his back, his hips thumping out a steady beat as old as time. Comes in her, gets it right in there, the enthusiasm of youth. Her spasms are beautiful, thrumming along her vagina to her womb, a greedy response to sudden insemination. Here. Here. Beautiful living sperm, my egg is here. Always makes me smile. Cool of evening coming on. Pay for admission to a club on the strip with cash I found stuffed in a drain pipe. I don't work, there's easy pickings if you can just see it. This club always amazed me. The thumping of the band matched by pulses in every cock, every vagina, one glorious synchronized dance beneath the dance. IUDs, cervical cap here and there. Not as many fake boobs as the young fellows at the bar think there are. Just two, and one's a waitress. Every young man with a condom in their wallet, their shirt pocket. 
Most of the young ladies with one in their bra, if they wear a bra. Hand party. Bride to be already pregnant but just barely. Two of her bridesmaids further along. Even the bride carrying condoms, so she must not know. Bartender has a shotgun under the counter, taser, billy club. Response proportional to the threat I guess. Nods at me, flicker of a smile. I'm a regular, have warned him of trouble more than once. Somebody comes in all hot and armed. Like a flare to me, obvious instantly. He's glad to see me, doesn't know how I do it but glad for the assist. No trouble tonight, everybody sex hot and happy, music is good, drinks are watered down so nobody drunk yet, behaving so far. The take is good, cash box stuffed. A lean middle-aged guy shut up in the office behind the bar, bend over books. Genitals scarred by dozens of SDIs, only one testicle. Probably in the business, the club business, the sex business because of feelings of insufficiency in that department. No I can't see in people's heads, not their thoughts anyway. Just so often one thing is correlated with another, SDIs with behaviors, postures with looks on faces, you get a sense. Turn to the crowd, the stage. Two performers getting ready in the hallway behind the stage, he's sitting on a trunk, she's in his lap, panties by ankles, hips rising and falling, fucking before their number, trying to get centered, humping to the beat of the recorded music. Number comes to a peak, and so does he, clenching balls, really long cock. Strains up to meet her hips, she responds by mashing down, accepting his jism as it jets into her, pussy tight, young body pulsing with pleasure. A beautiful dance behind the dance, a little number just their own. She pulls up her panties, trapping his come inside, peck on the cheek, picks up her microphone and they're on, his still warm cock stuffed down his pan leg so as to be obvious. Crowd roars approval even though they probably don't know who these guys are. He breaks into a guitar riff, she's waiting for it, turns to the backup band, smiles, bows to them so the audience can see her wet panties, see she's sexy and young and just fucked and hot and ready. They're eating it up, and when she belts out her intro they roar again. I get the bartender's eye, give a thumbs up he relaxes. I make my way to the side, a door to a hall, bathrooms, street door to the alley. Alarmed but long ago defeated. I make my escape to the cool dark, it's like a humid summer day in there, all sweat and sex and body heat. Out here the chill is welcome, a fugitive salt smell from the water some blocks away. Beach bum sleeping behind a dumpster, not injured, just drunk. Leave him to it. Down to the beach deserted at this time of day, all the mayflies attracted to the light and noise of the strip. Walk in the cool before retiring to my beach condo. Not deserted. One lone figure standing, looking back at the city, close to the water, feet wet. Hot in the cool night. Not good. Folks in a good place are looking at the water, the lights of ships and planes, the channel markers flashing. Folks in a bad place come to the beach, look back at what's hurt them, reliving their pain. I've talked to enough, I have some idea. I approach at an angle, not intercepting, don't want to spook them. Her. It's a her, in club clothes but not well done, a combination of stuff probably bought earlier this week, put on as a vacation costume. Stomach half full of liquor. No purse, no money belt. In fact, nothing but the clothes on her back. Healthy, young, nothing obviously wrong. Must be a man at the root of it. I pause, like I'm just noticing her. Good evening. You startled me. Nobody comes here when the clubs are open but me. She's been tracking me. A young woman learns to keep alert for creeps, stalkers. She's not threatened. Her hips don't turn. Her body remains slack, not ready to run or react. Resigned. Like it doesn't matter. Not good. Are you alright? She doesn't respond, so I approach a little closer. Do you have somebody? A place to stay? Have you eaten? She gives a sad shake of her head. No, he left. He took everything. So. Abandoned by some confidence man preying on the young. A bastard. Took her money, took her trust, probably took her virginity. Left her with nothing, not even self-respect. I just stood for a time, turned to look at the lights. It looks so happy. Folks in love, or out for a good time. She reacted to that, started crying. Hey. Hey. I put an arm around her, put her head to my chest, let her cry. After a time. It's not you, you know. It's him. Just a bastard. There are an endless number of them, like rats. Chewing away at us, gnawing at the good stuff, spoiling things for the rest of us. She tried to talk. He said, he said. He lied. He's a selfish bastard who will say anything. He may not even know any longer what's true and what's a lie. The tragedy is, he's good at it and sounds like he's saying truth. I didn't know him, but I knew the type. You are young and strong. 
He can't take that from you. He didn't take anything that really matters. It hurts because you're a good person you trusted. He betrayed you. That's not on you. That's all on him. The only way that he really gets a piece of you is if you change because of it. If you stop trusting, stop hurting. Get old and tough and insensitive. Like me. I thought it, but didn't say it. Instead, stay young and alive. Feel the hurt when you've been injured. Honest hurt. I didn't know if I was helping, but some of it got through to her. She cried harder for a while, but then stopped, maybe cried out. She squared her shoulders. I don't have anything. Can I borrow something? To get through the night. I have a condo up the beach, spare room, full fridge. Let's go there, get out of the cold, have a bite, get some sleep. See what the world looks like tomorrow. She looked ready to say no, so I added. You in your room, me in mine. It's your call. I'm no creep. I can see you're in need, and I'm not a sociopath. I help my fellow man when they need it. My dumb platitudes convinced her. She held her head high, nodded once. I pointed at a light in the distance, started off, put a hand out for her. She didn't take it, but followed. I made conversation as we went, relieving her of the need to say anything, let her gather herself. Walked over the buried seashells, the rusted buoy run aground decades ago and buried in the sand. An entire jeep, burned out, sunk deep now. Guns, plastic hotel key cards. The usual. We got to the steps that were my place, steep and long, dark from the beach up to a porch, and then my condo. She got reluctant again. I'm going to go up, turn on some lights. Don't want you getting hurt in the dark. You follow when you're ready. I gave her a sympathetic smile, put a hand on her shoulder. Turned and started up. I wasn't to the top, I heard her feet on the steps, coming after. Good. I wasn't going to force her to do anything. She had to want it. She'd had too much of men forcing her to do things. I had no right to claim any power over her. Flipped the porch light on, everything looked more inviting. Outdoor furniture, sunbleached but comfortable. Inside, more lights. A corny beach condo with seashell wall hangings, paintings of sailboats, big stuffed couch. Kitchenette with bar, three stools. Doors to the bedrooms, a bathroom. You want to use the bathroom? I'll put some frozen pizza in the oven. You want some Sprite? Too late for caffeine for me. She made a beeline for the bathroom, didn't respond. I heard water running, saw her pee, wash her face. Strip out of her panties, wash them in the sink. Scrub them hard, as if to get rid of all trace of him, wring them dryish. Came out, paused in the hallway, taking the place in. Boldly opened a door, the one to the guest room, bed made and otherwise empty. Satisfied I'd not lied about that. A good sign, she cared about herself again. It'll be fifteen minutes until pizza. How about something to hold us over? I surveyed my kitchen, seeing what was in the cupboards, the fridge. I have some chips, some ceviche from the shack down the way. Best on the strip. I put a bowl on the counter, dumped a bag of chips. Fished the marinated fish from the fridge, pulled the plastic wrap off, set that beside. She looked confused. I took a tortilla chip, scooped some fish chunks on, stuffed it in my mouth, made yummy sounds. She got the idea, went at it, loading up a chip, gobbling it down, loaded another. Remembered to sit on the barstool. Ate another. I let her fill some of that hunger gap, dilute the liquor. It was never pleasant to see a person chewing, swallowing, the thick wads slumping along their throat to squish in their stomach. Especially when they were starving, not chewing well. Some of those chip shards looked sharp going down. I'd long ago gotten the knack of just not looking. I let her finish the ceviche, just puttering at the stove, getting a couple dessert plates out for the pizza. The timer ding, Ed and I fetched the pizza out onto a cutting board. A few deft rolls with my pizza cutter, slipped the largest slice onto her plate. She blew on it, an expert pizza eater as most of us are. Folded it, got a nibble from the end, some cheese on her chin, hot. Seeing her like this, cleaned up and in good light, doing ordinary things, she did look appealing. A Midwestern healthy unlined face and body, strong, not exactly shapely but would definitely be somebody's cup of tea. She got some calories in her, and I saw her awareness return to the room, see where she was, see who I was. You're not old, blurted out, then shamed of what she'd said. I laughed. I know, I sound like an old dad sometimes with my platitudes. I may be boring, but I'm not old. She smiled back, glad I'd not taken offense. I like boring, I think. Better than. I agreed. She decided to say something. So what are you? I gave her the who me. Look, but she wasn't buying it. Smarter than most, way smarter. Didn't mean she couldn't be taken in. The bastard had done that easily. 
Was I going to do that? She'd had enough of that. So had I. What do you mean? Other than a boring beach condo guy that likes walks in the dark? Giving her a chance to back down, not press the point. No, what kind of person? She said it like she was not saying human. What gave me away? I never lied to people. Too much of that. She'd made me, and that was that. She nodded. You saw me way before you should have. In the dark. You found your way to the condo, no lights, no moon, right to it. Could have been just a trick of the harbor lights, and long experience finding my place. She tilted her head, agreeing. But then, you knew what you had in your kitchen without opening any cupboard doors. Nobody knows what's in their cupboards without looking. So you, looked. She'd seen that. I had been careless there. And in the bathroom you put ordinary stuff in the under the sink cupboard. Nobody does that, you can't see what's in there, it's just for junk. But you have soap, toothpaste, washcloths. I'd never thought of that one. A giveaway, at least to this sharp cookie. Not much storage space. I protested, but it was no use. She had me cold. She waited me out, blowing on her pizza, taking bites, just watching me. Not afraid. I think we were past that. Hell, she'd been ready to throw herself in the surf. She wasn't worried about a kind man on the beach. No matter how strange. How to say it. I can see. Right into things. Like in 3D. Like Clark Kent. X-ray vision. Something like that. An X-ray is just 2D, just a shadow of what things are inside, all muddled up and overlaid. I see it all, like I'm stripping away what's in front. Nothing is in front. It's all just there. So you just, looked into the cupboards, and went straight for the tortilla chips. Because they were plain in front of you. I nodded. Like I knew where my condo was. That old rusted buoy buried deep in the beach. The dolphins playing just outside the surf. She looked intrigued. Like what I was doing in the bathroom. I smiled a little, nodded. I didn't look much. I like to respect personal space. Just to make sure you weren't going to. To do myself harm. Thanks, I guess. She had colored a little, but got over it remarkably quickly. She chewed thoughtfully. Can you tell if I'm pregnant? Just like that, it came out. I looked her in the face, then carefully turned my gaze to her belly. She straightened, to give me a better look I suppose, but it didn't matter. No. Not pregnant. She laughed, but I could tell she was relieved. This was not just a little game. Anything else you want to tell me? About my health? Any tumors? Breast cancer? Blood vessel in my brain about to burst? She said it lighthearted, but a little nervous. I pretended to scan her but of course I'd already seen everything about her, from the moment we met on the beach. You are healthy as a horse. Good heart, good lungs, strong bones and teeth. Maybe gonna have a little trouble with that wisdom tooth someday. She tongued the right hand lower one, already aware it was a little crooked. Smiled suddenly. You could be a handy friend. Hell, a doctor. Imagine the good you could do. I nodded, having been down this road before. But to be honest, couldn't everybody be a good doctor? If they spent the time and effort dedicated their lives? Why me? Just because I don't need an MRI machine? And think about it. I'm not some microscope. I can't see cells and diseases. I said you didn't have cancer. Well, not a tumor that is big enough to see. So you still should visit your doctor, still get a pap smear regularly. She nodded, digested that. So what do you do? Do you have to work? Have you figured out some angle at the casino or something? I smiled again. Casino machines are all electronic nowadays. All I see are circuit boards. No help there. Cards? You could play blackjack like a pro. She seemed delighted by the idea. I've thought of that. When I was a kid I tried it. They tossed me out as a card counter. I'm banned from most places around here. And I decided early on, I don't want to be a leech, don't want to just take from people. I was raised right, and cheating is wrong. Her face fell. That put the brakes on most of the things she had thought of right off. I put an end to it. Anyway, it's late. I promise you supper in a bed. You've had supper. You already found the guest room. Extra blankets under the bed. She smiled at that. Of course I put things under there. I didn't lose them. I could see them plainly. I laughed. She was clever, smart, funny, quick. It was a joy to talk about myself so honestly and not get panic and fear. For once. You never answered. About what you do. I sighed, decided to tell the truth. I just pick up money when I need it. It's everywhere. People squirrel it away, forget about it, leave town, get old and die, whatever. 
Just today I found 600 in a drain pipe behind a gas station. Why it was there, we'll never know. What's the biggest you ever found? Really curious, in a young enthusiastic way I found honestly refreshing. A crate of money, probably millions. But it's at the bottom of the bay. Fallen off a drug smuggling boat is my guess. Anyway, I can't swim so it's gonna stay there. Her eyes got wide. Treasure hunting is a fun fantasy and I was the ultimate beachcomber. She had more questions but I begged off, tired. Which I really was. She settled into bed, stripped naked after an initial hesitation. I could see her thinking did it matter. When I could see everybody naked any time I wanted, she paused before climbing in, gave me a wave through the wall, blew a little kiss. Cheeky. I called. Good night. Playing along. Asleep instantly, exhausted from stress and trauma and sudden relief. Saved by a guy with pizza and a condo and x-ray vision that I took a little longer. What had I gotten myself into? It had been big trouble in the past when somebody got a clue what I could do. She seemed different. Maybe it would be different. We'd see dot I drifted off. My focus on the upper cloud cover. Weather coming in. Satellites orbiting overhead. The people in the space station shooting past. The usual stuff. Morning came. And with it the smell of cooking. Cooking. I had been eating frozen dinners. Fast food. Restaurant food my whole life. Mom didn't cook once she got cancer. Dad never cooked at all that I valued home cooked food somewhere up there with sex and oxygen. Through the shower, into beach clothes and out to the kitchen. There was the girl at my stove, skillet, cans open, something awesome bubbling in a pot, in a skillet. She looked at me brightly. Hope you don't mind. Thought I should repay you for your kindness. My gratified look made her giggle. You don't get cooked for very often? Miss, the way to this man's heart is definitely through his stomach. You cook all you want, I'm never gonna say a word against you. I cleared the pizza mess, got some plates from the dishwasher, forks from the drawer, set the bar for two dots she noticed. Nobody else? No sweetie in the picture? I shook my head. I guess I'm too weird for most folks. Nobody lasts a month. They get the creeps at my mysterious ways, get to thinking I'm spying on them somehow. She smiled impishly. Well, you are. Let me assure you, it's way better to just say things like that than to leave her guessing. I nodded, accepting her wisdom. I never felt free to just say what I could do. I didn't think that would go over so well. At least, not with the usual kind of person. This girl, she was something else. She began plating her, my, eggs, some sliced fried spam, instant potatoes she magically transformed into delicious cheesy wonderful that I did as she'd done last night, focused in on the food until I found my awareness returned to the room. Found her looking at me fondly. I, I don't get real food very often. Somebody should teach you to cook. You'd be a whiz, you can tell when the steak is cooked through, when the potatoes are done. True, it would definitely be easier to trim vegetables, seeing through the potato to the hidden bad spot. How does the morning look? I could tell she was feeling better, a new woman in fact. She looked grave. You were right, food and sleep changed everything. That bastard can go fuck himself. I'm gonna go back to being me. I nodded, a sober expression. Not gonna lecture to her, but it was good to see her self-confidence returned. You have anybody to go back to? What are your plans? Eager to please, she started in. I can be out of your hair almost immediately. I'm gonna look for a job today. I can do lots of things, food service, office work, copy editing. That's gonna take a little time. I started, and her face fell. No. I don't mind. You can stay here as long as you need. I don't have many guests. And you are a peach. It's a relief to have somebody to talk to. I'll look for a roommate, a college student or secretary or something. Maybe just a couple of days? I nodded. Don't rush it. Get a good job, a good situation. You deserve that much, after what you've been through. I can pay you back, as soon as I get a paycheck. She trailed off, remembering I didn't give a fuck about money. She needed some way to reciprocate, that was clear. I knew of a way. You can cook. If you cook, even one day a week, that would be great. That would be enough for me. The relief was immediate. This was something she knew, could deal with. I have a kick-ass red chili cheese enchilada. Cheap ingredients, tastes like heaven. My smile was so wide, she just had to laugh. You are so easy to please. I don't know why those women didn't stick around to see this side of you. She was gonna be a fine roommate. In fact, if it lasted longer than a few days, that would please me even more. Picking up the plates, she busied herself with washing. I had nowhere to be so I hung around, lazing on the bar stool. Her strong tan arms were graceful. Her motions sure and practiced. 
Watching her back flex as she moved dishes, scrubbed, turned this way and that to put things away was a joy. Her bones moved with a gentle flexing that only the young have, still mostly cartilage, not calcified stiff like full adults. That was also a joy to see. She turned to ask me something, saw me looking, looked down over her shoulder, back up at me. Is my spine especially interesting? She caught on quickly. I grinned, nodded yes. Well, knock yourself out. No guy has ever checked out my vertebrae before. She wiggled her but making a curious delicious wave travel up her backbone that I colored, a little shy about being caught perving on her youthful skeleton. But I continued to watch, changing the subject. I don't have a car. There's a bus service, but it's packed with tourists this time of year. Maybe we could just walk downtown, it's not even a mile. She brightened. We? Do you want to show me the sights? You mentioned food service office work. We could walk past a few places, check out if they're working well or understaffed, you could go in and offer to help out. Oh. Use your superpower for good. I like that. And if I get a job out of being Jane on the spot for some overworked restaurant manager, so much the better. I like being a superhero. My life was lonely, and I'd done so little for anybody, for so long. It felt good to be useful. I'll change into walking clothes. Something occurred to me. You don't have any other clothes? She shook her head no. He took everything. But I can. She ran down, out of ideas. Let's get you dressed for success. It'll pay off in the end first impressions are huge. You want to look the part. She was going to object, caught herself. The money thing again, not an issue for me but it was for her. I explained. It'll give me something to do, a friend to spend time with, even for a day. The money is easy, if it's not too much anyway. And if you want to be a friend in return, I don't know, cook two days a week. Use your skills to make our lives better. She thought, nodded, held out her hand. I shook it. She talked as we walked down the beach. I cashed out of my life, bought an expensive vacation. Nobody to return to, nothing back there for me. Was going to meet a nice guy, settle down, have a life here. That failed quick. I objected. No. Just a bump in the road. You can do whatever you want, put your mind to. Lots of guys would jump at the chance to meet you. Don't sell yourself short? Or them. Not all men are bastards. I know, love is possible blah blah. But forgive me if I ride the cynical wagon for a few days. That seemed reasonable that I thought of something. I don't know your name. My name is Gregory. Greg. Greg. I like that. Strong, unequivocally male. Mine's Jillian, Jill. She held out a hand, and I shook it. Pleased to make your acquaintance. So Jillian, Jill. If you'll indulge me, we can walk along the boardwalk for a while. Certainly, Gregory, Greg. I would be glad to. We were passing the frontage along the beach, a ride of gaudy signs, trinket sellers, colorful garb, and lost items. I scanned as we went, always on the lookout for a freebie. Didn't take long, it never did. Just a minute. I left the boardwalk, squatted in the sand, reached under, pulled out a salt-stained satin bag. Inside a few scrunched-up bills, a lipstick, a condom wrapper. No ID. Taking just the bills I pocketed them, dumped the rest in the boardwalk trash can. She looked at me, pursed her lips, raised an eyebrow. You are a handy guy. I ever lose my purse, I'm coming to you. A dollar here, a dollar there it adds up. I was openly pleased at the praise, a new thing for me. I'd hidden this all my life, it was a thrill to show off, and it was more than a dollar or two. More like fifty, twenties and change. Somebody's mad money. I can probably find something to wear along here. She was anxious to get this clothing shopping over with. I disagreed. Mostly for tourists, not the look you might want to present. There are better places a couple blocks off the shore. She got nervous when we turned onto a street with upscale shops. I can't afford this stuff. I was going to explain about money again, but stopped. This was how she felt. It was not my place to tell her what she was comfortable with. There are bargains even here. Let's see if we can find some office outfit for a reasonable price. Still uncertain, I led her by the hand into the shop I often used. A tailor, a small Vietnamese man, a noble age, and I saw in the back the much younger Vietnamese woman at a sewing machine that he spoke his perfect British English which I was pleased to see surprised my companion. Mr. Gregory. How nice to see you on this fine day. What can I do for you? Or for your enchanting friend? Jill smiled, instantly at ease with Mr. Nguyen. I introduced them. Mr. Nguyen, this is? Jillian. I didn't know her last name. She took his offered hand, got a firm handshake. Please call me Fuang. 
He smiled his gold tooth smile, always the charmer. Are we here for more, formal attire? Jillian nodded, suddenly shy. Kang, please attend. Customer. He called through to the back room. Miss Kang came through a beaded door, stood beside and one step behind Fuang, the polite way to address a senior dot a tiny woman, a blend of traditional Vietnamese and modern American, she was dressed in a sensible wool skirt, a black knit top suitable for work, but underneath she was all sex bot and lace with a bra designed to do its best for her brief charms while dazzling the eye, and a tiny, tiny pair of panties I had to look for carefully to distinguish. From her jet black trim and combed bush, sizing Jill up with a glance, signaling that she should turn around, Miss Kang observed, turned without a word, disappeared into the back. Almost immediately she emerged with a women's business blazer and skirt on a hanger. Holding it for Mr. Nguyen, he took the blazer, examined it critically, nodded. Jill took it when offered, slipped into it. It was nearly a perfect fit, comfortable over her shoulders, maybe a little broad at the waist. Fuang critically tugged, pulled. Miss Kang was making notes, ostensible taking her cues from Fuang's clucks and frowns. Nodding, Jill took it off, handed it back, Miss Kang taking it over one arm. A blouse. Fuang intoned. Miss Kang disappeared again. This blouse. He inclined his head toward her. Will not compliment the suit. Something fine, not lacy, businesslike, but feminine. Miss Kang returned with a selection of blouses in satin and linen, offered them to Fuang. He plucked at them critically, indicated his choice, linen with a wide placket and ivory buttons. Miss King motioned for Jill to follow her into the back. We passed the time, chatting over the weather, the annoying tourists, the state of the world. Out of the corner of my eye I could see Jillian stripping to her underwear, slipping into the blouse and suit. Oh my untrained eye it fit perfectly. It certainly made her look nice. Though she looked nice in anything, if you know what I mean. Ina Trice Jill was back, decked out in the complete suit. I smiled my biggest smile. Jill blushed, turned around as Mr. Nguyen tugged, pulled and Kang made notes. Do you like it, dear Jillian? He was ever the gentleman, but clearly he had already decided it was the right suit for her. Jillian nodded gravely, unwilling to venture an opinion in the presence of the monumental expertise of Mr. Nguyen. He smiled, satisfied. Miss Kang took her in charge, retreated to the back room again. Will she be desiring anything else today? I think two, maybe three of these beautiful suits. In different colors suitable to her palette. Charged to my account? Fuang smiled, pleased at the deal. It was almost as simple to tailor three suits as one that Jill returned, in her original clothes. She looked happy. You may expect delivery in two days? Mr. Fuang was not really asking that I interjected. If it would not be inconvenient, Miss Jillian would benefit from a more aggressive schedule, perhaps this afternoon? For one suit only? Miss King made a note, looked to Fuang for confirmation. He nodded graciously. Thank you for your invaluable advice and expertise, Mr. Nguyen. He smiled, nodded, smiled at Jillian. For such a charming young lady, I am always pleased to offer my assistance. They left, Jillian a little flustered. You didn't pay? What did you mean, one suit only? I considered how to respond. I have an arrangement with Mr. Nguyen. He will not hurt my wallet, since I use him for everything. He took a liking to you, which is another plus. She looked suspicious. How many suits did you order? I held up my hands. Just the three. You can't go to work in the same clothes every day. She looked exasperated. I'll never pay you back. I feel I'm getting in deeper and deeper. I could not, would not belittle her concerns. Let's consider it this way. Looking professional, looking the part, will get you a better job at a better employer. Instead of a waitress, a manager. Instead of an office temp, a hiring manager. She now looked doubtful. I'm not qualified for those jobs. You're qualified for any job you can do. The trick is to convince them you can do the job, before they even look at your resume. People make decisions based on their feelings, and justify them later. She took that in, nodded decisively. I can do that. I was sure she could. I remember she'd come here to remake herself, to cast off her old life and create a new one. Dot. And as the sage said if you think you can do something, or you think you can't, either way you are right. Given the delay in tailoring, no interviews were likely this morning. We instead opted to cruise the commercial district, my senses alert for interesting developments. Twice I haired off to pick up some lost item a zippered cash bag with $200 and no deposit slip under a post box, a discarded pair of pants in a dumpster with a 20 in the pocket. Jill looked on with an amused look. You do seem to find lots of opportunities. I smiled. Those were two of about 20. The rest were small change, or too hard to reach. 
I have gotten selective in what I'm willing to do for a few bucks. I put my arm out, absently restraining her progress as we reached a corner. A bicycle messenger whizzed out, hurtled into the crosswalk, barely missing us. Jill accepted my cues, accustomed to my seeming precognition now, continued to talk. How will you know when a job opportunity arises? For a restaurant, which you have expressed an interest in, I'm looking for a busy place, clean kitchen, full cash box, orderly office. Then you want to find that person who's overworked, everybody coming to them every few minutes with a question doubt if their stress levels are high, by which I mean their heart rate, vascular constriction, extremity temperature out of ordinary, we have our candidate employer. She nodded. We just figure out who would help them most, and I walk in, say I'm that person. It seems a little like, I don't know, a con? A reasonable objection. I'd had similar thoughts myself, for years. I just say to myself, if I knew this person well and they described the situation to me, would they welcome my help? If they would, then it's a sincere application of knowledge with intent to do good. Nobody is being fooled or taken advantage of. That seemed to do it for her. She started scanning the street herself, as if she could see something I missed. Not likely, but her input, her enthusiasm for a particular business or neighborhood was certainly good information to guide my scan. That restaurant has people waiting outside? I looked inside, took a minute to evaluate. They have staff constantly in motion, nobody sitting on their hands. The kitchen is clean, busy but not overworked. I think they may be working to capacity. Short of offering them a new location with a larger dining room, I'm not sure we can help them. She accepted that, moved on. That dry cleaner lobby is empty. Could they need somebody to bring in customers? Or a delivery driver or something? I watched the activity inside for a time. The racks were full by the window, but empty behind. The till was empty. The lady on duty at the desk was watching a ball game. The chemical vats inside were empty, or nearly so. No delivery van waited in the alley, and the back door lock was rusty with disuse. I believe that is a front, perhaps a money laundering location. They're not cleaning any clothes in there. What they have seemed to have been there a long time. She exclaimed gleefully. That's wonderful. You can tell that just by looking. I'm impressed. It was honestly not hard to impress, when you could actually see through walls. But I accepted the praise anyway, grinned at her. The next corner of florist had tables of plants outside, coolers lining the walls inside. The till was full, order slips filled the tray. A man in the office was rubbing his forehead, trouble point two youngsters fooled around behind the counter, ostensibly arranging flowers but just chatting, moving things around without accomplishing anything. The phone was ringing, and nobody answering it. Here's a possibility. Overworked owner, undertrained help. Too many orders and not enough hours in the day. Plenty of inventory but nothing moving. You think I should approach them? What would I say? I had some doubts. This may be hard to fix. The kids in front seem sure of themselves, but don't know what they're doing. Perhaps nephews the owner is obliged to employ? Also he's in the back instead of out front kicking butt and naming names. She caught on quick. Even if I could help, he's demonstrated an inability to take action. Not likely to make a decision. We walked on. Something occurred to her. Mr. Nguyen, Fuang, didn't seem very respectful of Kang. Just an observation. She was making no judgment. I like that. Don't be fooled. Kang is his granddaughter. When we're not there she's calling him Ongnigui, an affectionate term for maternal grandfather. Making tea, sitting with him, combing his hair, reading him the Vietnamese newspaper. He'll be scolding her, but without any venom. In a way he sees as responsible, affectionate. She loves him, far as I can tell. She's really in charge, did you notice? When there was a decision to be made she made it, offering the options to him for form's sake, to make him the face of the business. All the actual decisions and skills were hers. So it's a business strategy? I hope she's paid well. She owns the shop, takes care of her grandfather like a good Vietnamese granddaughter. It's how they want it, and it works for them. Jill smiled a warm smile, glad to be introduced to these interesting people. She'd not any people to call her own, and this vignette pleased her. I stopped. Here. Jill stopped, followed my gaze to the second floor of an office building with a restaurant below. Busy office, phones ringing, enough folks to answer them and do business. But each call, they take a slip into the owner? Anyway, the lady in back. She gets interrupted, takes the slip, looks something up, makes some notations in a book. Goes back to what she was doing. With more observation I could know what they do. But it's clear, they need a floor manager to do the bookwork, look up the data, record. Leave the owner to get on with it, the desk jockeys to take the calls. 
She smiled, glad to know the job, sure she could make it work. Let's go up. Nodding. Sure, but we make no contact yet? Just scope out the business, see if it's legit, and something you want to do. Maybe they're a bookie, or an escort service arranging dates for clients. Jill was scandalized but excited. I might want to do that. I wouldn't know until I tried. I nodded. But you'd want contacts in case they were raided, and money for a lawyer. A risk at the moment, perhaps more than your pocketbook would support. Anyway, we don't know anything yet. We went to one of three elevators, the one that was on ground floor, of course. Wrote it up, examined the business register on the wall there. I'd seen it from the ground, but it helped to wait for a companion to see too, then talk. I think this is it. Bail bondsman. Those must be lawyers calling, arranging a bond or a payment. The boss would be vetting the charges and the amounts. She considered. It might be risky, working with people with their back to the wall, folks needing bail. But I'd just be an office worker, right? I don't know that business. You're probably right, but it's something to consider. Anyway, that's one on your list? She nodded. I'd be happy to work here. Especially with the Thai restaurant below. I love Thai food. We went back down, continued on the street. Jill noted me looking at a passing woman, saw me dart to intercept her, give her a flyer. Saw the irritated response that I returned, saw the question in her face. Breast cancer. I gave her a flyer, screening clinic. I think she'll ignore it, but I have to try. This stunned her. She stood still, staring back, the woman already lost to the pedestrian traffic, a tragic look on her face. How do you manage? Knowing all the small tragedies, seeing all the pain? I was used to it, that's how. Not easy to convey a hardened heart in words. You know it's there too, in your heart? How do you manage? She shook no. But you see it, you know when it's just sad and when it's really sad. It has to be hard. I decided to open up to her, to tell her something I never had reason to tell anyone. I saw my mother die of cancer, the tumors growing, destroying her from the inside, bursting her organs. I saw my father die of liver failure, drink himself to death, saw his liver just give up, the poison spreading through him. After that, maybe I'm a little calloused. Shocked, she reached for me, hugged me, held me for a long moment. When she was able, she let go, said, I'm sorry. So am I. I was a little kid, didn't know what I was seeing, didn't know what to do. But I can do something now, even if it's too little or too late, I try. We walked on, each with our own thoughts. Then, let's go exploring. We don't need to look more this morning, that was enough. Where do you want to go? What will we do? Tell me about the world. Like only you can see. Show me all the hidden wonders. I agreed, what else did I have to do with my days? But I warned her. It's not all pretty. Some of it is a little scary, or just sad. I want to know it all. The enthusiasm of youth. I used to have that, but it seemed a long time ago that we went to the park. Start small, some history, some nature. Nothing too disturbing here. Well, one thing, I would not mention that. This park was built by some famous architect in the 1800s. There's a statue of him somewhere, over there. I pointed into the distance, but it was behind a screen of trees. Is it just as it was before folks settled here? Oh my no. All this dirt was brought in, the whole place leveled. There are layers below history. Tell me. I looked around, just relaxing, seeing the ages spread out. Over there? Under the arboretum, there's the foundations of the original frontier fort. A stockade, the old wooden posts still in their holes, or the ends of them anyway, the posts long rotted away. How far down? Only a few feet. With a shovel, we could uncover them in a few hours. How big was it? I tilted my head, looking, thinking. I read that Andersonville was half a mile wide. But this one, a little frontier fort, was maybe three hundred feet on a side. The gate was over there, facing the river. She looked in wonderment, imagining wild Indians and French traders. The cemetery was nearer the river, probably because the ground was softer. It's mostly washed away when the river changed course at some point, long before the park was built out there's just a couple markers and graves left, below the hot dog stand, maybe twenty feet down. Anything recognizable? Hard to see from here. Some leather from the boots, by which I assume a soldier was laid there and not a native. A rusted bit of crossed metal, perhaps from a cavalryman's hatband. Primitive stone markers, a name scratched in but obliterated by time. Sabres. Cool. She was getting into it, staring into the earth like she could see it. Later they had a fair here, after the fort and stuff was covered by silt from a flood. Only open ground for miles. 
a pavilion tent, some of the stakes still down there, dot a wooden building for displays of industry, which burnt fifty years later. Lots of charred wood there, some metal fixtures. A radiator, a boiler. Glass from windows, the old-fashioned wavy kind, blackened by the fire. What next? Civil War assembly point, soldiers off to war. Horseshoe nails, dropped cartridges, even a saber somebody lost in the brush, probably saying goodbye to their fair lady. She giggled, imagining a gaily uniformed officer banging a young woman in her hoop skirt. Next? The fill dirt for the park was taken from a dump. Lots of bottle caps, shoelace eyelets, broken medicine bottles from the late 1800s. Stuff that won't rot away. Used to dig here in high school looking for dump treasure. You always used to find the best stuff. I always found the best stuff, yeah? What there was unbroken bottles and stoppers, ink pots, and so on. Then there's today. Yes, endless quarters in the sod, dropped by happy youngsters going to buy cotton candy or soda. Plastic rubble, but that's pretty much everywhere, the background noise of modern society. She frowned at that. What if you go deeper? He smiled, glad she'd asked. You go deep enough, there are dinosaur bones. You mean like T-Rex? Yes. Littler raptors, theropods, like T-Rex but smaller. I used to play dinosaurs when I was a kid. My mom thought I had a great imagination, another kid fascinated by dinosaurs, but I was just seeing them down there, pieces and even whole skeletons, nearly. Here? Where? Oh, everywhere. This place was home to them for millions of years. You dig deep enough pretty much anywhere around here, you'll find something. You could be the world's best archaeologist. Find the greatest skeletons ever. I smiled fondly. Well, if I had mining equipment and an unlimited budget. Not much budget for the average bone digger. She frowned, her dreams of Indian Jones punctured. Anything else? He prevaricated. Nothing worth mentioning. Shall we move on to the city center? She led the way, chattering about history and treasure and whatnot. What I hadn't mentioned, the thing that always troubled me when I came here, was the array of haphazard potholes dug in a sod layer, contemporaneous with the fort. Some distance outside, away from the river, near the old civilian settlement. I in each pothole, a nest of tiny bones. Human bones. The final resting place of many infants, more than fifty. It was unlikely so many infants had died close together in time. Infant mortality was severe back then, but not that severe and loved infants, wanted infants, got buried with more care than a whole chip through the sod. No, these were the unwanted babies of the old brothel, the bastard offspring of a quarter century of randy soldiers with no care for the results of their wild oats. The whores could not have cared for them, not have the resources or support to raise them. So they got put in a hole and buried, unwanted, forgotten.murdered.it was the sort of history nobody wanted to hear, or even know about. Not part of the pretty old west pageantry. Ugly, deeply sad, unfair. I was glad to leave the park for the relative comfort of city life where the bodies were of adults, gangsters or victims of gangsters. The bank was a fruitful stop on my gruesome tour. Under the bank, in the cement foundations of the vault, lie skeletons of three people, men I think. Hands bound behind their backs, legs hobbled. Maybe wrapped in a sheet, hard to tell now, but alive when they were thrown in, by the contortions of the bodies. Drowned I think, when the cement was poured over them. Who could they be? Why did no one report them missing? Perhaps they did. That bank is pretty old, dating to the original city center development. A century ago this port city was a pretty wild place, people arriving from all over via ships of foreign ports, up and down the coast. Pretty easy for somebody to get in trouble, get thrown in a convenient hole, get lost. Are there any identifying marks? The flesh has rotted away. They have some dental work, but any records likely long gone. Rings, scars are no use without someone alive to recognize them. She digested this, nodded, content to let the sleeping dead lie. Are there secret tunnels? False compartments? A priest hole? She didn't know what that last was, but had heard it in a detective show and it sounded exciting. More of that sort of thing in the old brewery district. During Prohibition they tunnel under the street from the brewery cellar to the saloons, simply roll barrels under the street that way undetected. The brewery was supposed to make only near beer, but nobody was really checking. What's below that? She had learned that there was always something below, layer after layer into history. First, the old water and sewer tunnels brick, collapsed here and there, no longer navigable. And then? Well, far as I can tell, an Indian burial ground spread all over this rise. The downtown had been built above the river valley, to keep valuable buildings safe from flood. The same sort of place the natives had buried their dead. That's exciting. 
Maybe the curse of the old Indian burial ground haunts the bankers to this day. She was just kidding, but it was fun to tell tales. If that's the case, then pretty much all of America is cursed. The country is built essentially on one continuous Indian burial ground. They lived here for 10,000 years. That's a lot of burying. That hit home. It was strange to think of all that history, hundreds of generations of people, all under her feet. What else can you tell me about the bank? The vault is full of cash, that's to be expected. The deposit boxes are more interesting. Guns, lots of guns. Everybody seems to want to own one, then puts it away and never uses it. I can never figure that out. Are there diamonds? Looted painting from World War II. She was hoping for more juicy details. Lots of jewelry, but from the look if it mostly costume. I'm no expert but they don't seem very shiny. Easy to fool folks, and when they figure it out they just dump it in the bank vault rather than admit they've been duped. There's one sort of interesting painting, in one of the larger boxes. It's been cut from its frame, rolled up. Hard to tell exactly, but I've been looking at it this way and that for years. I think maybe an old master. Probably stolen, else why cut it? Why hide it? What's it of? Some old guy, strange triangle hat, maybe some kind of necklace. It's rolled up, no easier to figure out what it is for me than for you. What's the strangest thing in there? That was easy. One of the boxes is booby-trapped, a hand grenade wired to the lid, Vietnam War era. Nothing else in there, just the grenade. Must hate his relatives, want them to follow him to hell immediately after he dies and they inherit. That was cool, sort of. Any other booby traps around town? He nodded. Quite a few. Folks love to fool around with that sort of thing. There are any number of basement doors rigged to explode. Mostly the explosives are old, wet, probably won't do anything anymore. A leftover from the gangster era, or prohibition? One abandoned apartment. Furniture looks like 1800s, bed made, table set. A barrel of black powder attached to the door. But the door has been walled off long ago, just a blank space on a hallway now. Probably be some trouble when they eventually tear the building down. And my personal favorite. An unexploded mine, probably from the Civil War, embedded in a curve in the river. A big ball with prongs all over. The oxbow of the river shifted since then. Now it's embedded under a park shelter, deep enough to cause nobody any worry. We walked on, past the building with a forgotten sub-basement, full of stack tables and chair, a hotel storage room. It was a school now dot a church with another church under it, the rubble of one anyway. A small cemetery with a larger one beneath, coffins below lined with lead, sealed against some dread plague. Crossing the river on the old bridge, chambers within the piers mostly filled with rubble but one intact, a plan still tacked on one wall a brass lantern on a table, sealed and forgotten for eternity. The river itself was a marvel of trash, firearms, valuables, keepsakes, religious offerings, bottles empty and full. Cars and scuttled boats all buried in layer after layer of MUD.MY. Favorite, a safe, still sealed and dry inside with a bundle of confederate cash, a locket containing human hair, a wedding ring with a sapphire stone, some naughty photographs and a Civil War era sex toy. She giggled for a while at that, her imagination running wild dot on the other side of the river, on the wrong side of the tracks the alley walls were covered in layers of graffiti. How far back does it go? Oh, years, all the way to when it was built, I imagine. The lowest layer is an advertising sign for Brown's Beneficial Liquor, whatever that was. The building must have stood alone back then, for the sign to be seen at all. Any secret criminal lairs? Not that you'd want to visit. Mostly squatters have taken over. The upper floors are filled with ratty mattresses and broken drug paraphernalia. Pretty disgusting. Oh, the old hotel penthouse is still there. Only way up was an elevator, removed years ago. What's it look like? Art Deco floor tiles, wallpaper. Covered in dust but still bright under all that. Brass fixtures, crystal chandelier. Gaslights converted to electricity. Art on the walls, but I don't know the artist. Abstract, not my style. Bookcase full of dusty law books. Complete set of Playboy in the closet, from the original issue up to April 1972. She was impressed. That stuff was valuable, particularly the Playboy collection. I didn't mention the cuffs, straps, whips in the drawer by the bed. Continuing. The amazing thing is, all that wealth, but they had only two sets of dishes in the cupboard, two sets of silver in the drawer. Before consumerism took over, I guess. She shaded her eyes, looked at the penthouse windows high overhead. They were coated with grime and age opaque. Forlorn. She was done marveling, the sense of time and age starting to press in, I guess. Let's go home. I'm tired. Thank you for the tour. You are wonderful. She gave me a one-arm hug, 
pecked me on the cheek. All sisterly. I was thrilled. Home. She'd called my place home. I was strangely pleased by that. We picked up a lobster roll, two bottles of beer, shared that for lunch. After a nap, each in our bedroom, it was time to return to the tailor Mr. Nguyen and his granddaughter Kang. Fuang lit up like a lantern when he spied Jillian. Miss, it is genuinely a pleasure to see you again. Miss Kang. His voice rang out imperiously, but she was already coming through from the back, the suit on a hanger. You will allow Miss Kang to confirm the fit? He ushered Jillian back, and she joined Miss Kang, heading for the fitting. Jill was smiling, into the new clothes thing now.mr. Nguyen made some comments on the local ball team, their recent defeat by arrival. He had a weakness for sport betting. Never more than he could afford, just a fiver now and again, always local games. I wasn't up on the latest games, not a sport fan, but knew enough to cringe at the rival's victory. It was a famous matchup, done every year as a sort of exhibition game, trying to fill the stadium. The fitting was going well. Jillian fit into the suit like a glove, hardly any gap between skin and cloth. Yet it moved wonderfully on her young frame as she bent, twisted, reached out I could get used to having her around. Miss King was pleased, complimented her. I saw her I was perhaps taking in more than the clothing. Miss King enjoyed pretty girls too. A good job for her then. Lots to look at. In a minute they returned, Jillian still running her hands over the lines, feeling the fit. Feeling fine in her first bespoke suit, clothes that really fit her. She glowed, happy. Spun around for me, showing off, hands on hips, a power executive pose. For my part I'm afraid I simply stared. I saw women day and night, could not really unsee them, always somebody somewhere, from dress to bone and everything in between, but never had I seen one showing off for me like this. Primping, turning, posing, smiling right at me. Glad to see me and look good for me. I found my voice. Miss King! You are a marvel, you have done a perfect job. As usual. Fuang beamed at me pleased. Miss King remained aloof. Jillian stepped up, put her hands on my shoulders, stood face to face, eyes locked on mine, up on her toes and kissed me. Gently, definitely not sisterly. Thank you. You've saved my life. Letting go, to Mr. Nguyen. This suit is a joy to wear. So beautiful. So professional. Thank you. Thank you. Impulsively, she took the incredible liberty of kissing him on the cheek briefly. He smiled, always the gentleman of course, but clearly pleased at her enthusiasm. You are entirely welcome, Miss Jillian. Any friend of Mr. Gregg will of course receive our best hospitality. She twirled again, showing off, and we all smiled, even Miss Kang. She did look very good. I noticed in the jacket pocket, a note, folded twice, in a calligraphic hand. Interesting. For later. We left the shop, Jill no longer concerned about paying, too happy to think much beyond the present. She wore the suit, as she'd be having her first interview soon. Her old outfit was wrapped in brown paper and string, under my arm. Off to get a job? She was ready for anything. I think maybe one more stop? You are young and pretty, and can get away with bare legs. But for a different, perhaps more sedate look, tights or nylons? I was no expert, it was more common to see bare legs nowadays. But for first impressions, why not do it all? Jill bent over, raised a leg, tilted her knee right and left, critically eyeing her calf. God, she looked good doing that. I can get some hose at any drugstore. They won't last long, but it will only take a moment. She skipped ahead, having spotted a sign on the street ahead. We arrived, and she paused at the door, then stuck out her hand with a pretty smile. It took me a moment, but I started, pulled a wad of bills from my pocket, handed them over. Jill was definitely comfortable with treating money as incidental paper now. She didn't count it, just turned and flounced into the shop. She looked good and knew it. Coming out in less than a minute with a plastic egg in hand, she handed back most of the wad. I meanwhile supplemented it with a ten I'd spotted stuck in the branches of a bush, blown there by some stray breeze. Always alert, she cast about, noticed an alley, haired off. I followed curious. Reaching the entrance, she looked at me, hesitated. All clear. Let me know if anybody is coming. We went halfway down. Opening the egg, shaking out the scrap of fabric, she dumped the plastic in a bin behind a shop. Looking at the wall, she frowned. Nowhere to sit, and the wall pretty grimy. I solved this by putting myself between her and the wall, leaning on it myself and pulling her to me, her back to my front. She was now insulated from the grime, her new suit protected. And a warm bundle up against me. She got the idea, leaned hard against me, slipped out of one shoe, hiked her foot up, snugged it into one leg of the hose. Once it was bunched on her toe she drew the bundle halfway up, paying it out as she went, 
putting that shoe back on, she did the same with the other leg. Now standing on her own again, she gently drew the sheer fabric over her knees, up her thighs, wiggled a little when she reached her hips, tugged and snapped until she was comfortable. Turning this way and that, she admired her legs. Looking up at me, she gave me a critical look. What do you think? I was gawking at her innocent display, my jaw open but no drool actually on my chin fortunately. I shut my mouth with a snap. Looks good. She smiled impishly. Now I'm ready. Nobody had seen her antics, which was good since I'd been completely distracted. It wasn't but half a mile to our target, the bail bondsman. On the way I entertained Jill with observations about passersby. Large lady with the dog has doggy treats in her pocket, but way too big for that tiny dog. I see a bite out of one that matches her teeth. He's got divorce papers in his suit pocket. Ancient Warren, been there for years. And signed. Just in case? He's got a pocket watch in his stomach, mostly corroded away. Probably swallowed it as a child. The number of butt plugs I called out amused her no end. Maybe I'll get one. Help pass the time in the office. We laughed easily, two friends out for a walk, a fine fall day. I'd not done this for years, not since I was in high school. I only mentioned the unusual, the funny, the things I saw that illustrated the foibles of humanity. Most of us were just looking to pass the time, and some folks were pretty creative. I skipped the corroded livers, the shrunken dark lungs, the worn out knees and backs and necks and wrists, ground down by labor and accident. No need to burden her. I did mention the elegant lady in heels, standing in front of a shop window, trembling slightly. The older gentleman a few feet away, well-dressed, seemingly interested in the display but his attention on her. He's got a remote in his pocket, his thumb fiddling with a knob. She's got a vibrator inside, small rubber, in her pussy, shoved way up against her cervix. He can adjust the setting with that gadget. We just watched for a time, enjoying the show. He'd run the intensity up, up. And she'd shake, put her hand to the window glass, brace herself. He'd turn it down, down, and she would breath, leaning heavily, then stand straight again, and repeat. An exhibitionist out for a fun time, and her handler. Just two ordinary pervs on a fine fall day. I guess we were pervs two voyeurs having our fun. Well, Jillian anyway. I couldn't really unsee anything. It was just a fact of life for me. I alerted Jill. She's going to come now. I could see the convulsions begin in her uterus, spread to her vagina, her abdominal muscles. He must have noticed too, cranked up the vibrator to the max. Jill was fascinated, eyes unashamedly locked on the wanton display, the woman staggering on her heels, leaning hard against the glass, face screwed up in ecstatic agony. Check out her thigh. There was a stream of juice making its way from her pussy just appearing to Jill now at the hem of her thigh-length skirt. Making good time to her knee, more drips following the track, becoming a wet slick, Jill poked me, tore her gaze away. We stay here, I'm gonna ruin these tights. I glanced down and indeed she was moist, the crotch of the tights absorbing it for now but not for long Dot we walked on, her face a little flushed but still full of fun. Anything going on upstairs? Above most shops in this district were offices, but occasionally some apartment. I scanned quickly. A couple on the third floor, in bathrobes, taking the day off. Clearly just finished a little morning glory, that office, the dentist above the shoe store, she's got a drawer full of condoms, and a trash can littered with wrappers. She must service more than teeth. There. Two stalkers in the back of the lamp store, he's laid out on the packing table, pants discarded on the floor, dick in the air, she's riding cowgirl, panties in her shirt pocket. A little simple rumpy pumpy, taking their break and making the most of it. He's been working out, she's squeezing his pecs. His eyes are closed, but he should be looking at those tits, really something, right there for the grabbing. Whoops. He came inside. Now she's mad she didn't come. She's climbing down, stomping out. Heading for the women's room. He's following. He figured out he isn't wearing any pants, his dick flopping around. Going back for the pants. She didn't put her panties back on. She's dripping his cum from her cunt. All over the floor, splot, 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 all the way to the bathroom. Clean up on aisle three. Jillian was laughing, staggering on the sidewalk, enjoying the hell out of my descriptions. I felt like Mark Twain must have felt on tour, on stage, the audience enjoying the show, in his element. Across the street, two couples, one pushing a baby carriage, cute baby asleep. That lady? With a baby carriage? Must be just a couple months old. Well, she's pregnant again. Just a few weeks, but you can tell by the angle of her uterus. That's fast. I'd want to take six months off, get the first baby wean anyway. I don't think I'd need two people sucking my tits at the same time. It'd get sore pretty quick. Jillian had become very comfortable with me. 
knowing intimate details of strangers, seeing through the facade folks erected daily, getting that shared with you, that could make your outlook pretty raw, I guess. Had experience with that? Been a lot of guys sucking those tits, have there? I was being deliberately rude, hopefully teasing like a friend might do. I waited for her reply. She didn't blink. A few. How about you? I see by your face, not many. None? Really? She was taking my tease, turning it around, running with a dot I punched her in the arm, not hard, just embarrassed. Anyway, you can probably tell, right? Nipples all chewed and stretched. I took her question seriously. A mom, hormones change when she delivers, her nipples get bigger, more plastic. But a girl, never had a baby? They are bouncy, tiny, rubbery. They don't get chewed up, no matter how you try. She digested that, looking at the couple still. How about the other couple? I peered across the street. Near as I can tell, she's not had any kids. Certainly not pregnant. Ow. That's a pity. She won't have any kids. Her fallopian tubes are kinked twisted. Must have gotten an infection at some time. Jill looked concerned. It'd be pretty hard to tell a girl something like that. What would you say? Hey, my boyfriend says your baby stuff is broke. She shook her head. I can see how it might be frustrating, knowing all this but nothing you can really do. I nodded, agreeing, but actually stunned by her words. Just a casual remark, sure, but she just called me my boyfriend. That pleased me deeply. Not getting any funny ideas, but clearly she was open to it. At least not weirded out by me. Which was such a wonderful change. It's not so bad. I didn't do it, didn't make her sick or anything, and they'll probably find out sooner or later. Maybe they already know. Not really our business, right? She nodded, unconvinced that we arrived. The Thai place was open, the lunch crowd passed but a few business types having a late lunch. Only one waiter on duty, young Thai-looking guy, probably a family place that I stuck my head in the door. Hey! Your noodles are boiling over! The kid looked alarmed, made a beeline for the kitchen. See? Sometimes there is something I can do about it. I grinned, and got punched in return. But she was smiling again anyway that we passed the restaurant, went in the grand business entrance in the center of the block. Took a different elevator this time, the one that was already there of course. The bondsman office had a sign, no window. We stopped in the hall to do some planning. So I go in, talk to one of the folks at a phone, ask to see the boss? I nodded, agreeable but I had a better notion. You can do that, maybe she'll see you, maybe not. But it kind of puts you in a category, a person asking for something. They're easily ignored. I let her think of the better plan. She was young but smart, it took her just a moment. I'll walk right through the room like I belong. They won't even think to stop me, just keep at their phones. Go right into the boss office, make my pitch. I nodded harder. That sounds better. Put yourself up there as a peer, gonna make her life easier, take some of the load off, leave the boss to grow the business. She looked serious, thinking, preparing her plan of attack. When she was ready she didn't hesitate, just opened the door, strode in, all professional that I stayed outside. This was her deal, all hers. I was definitely in a support role, had done all I could that didn't mean I couldn't see what she was doing, but I couldn't hear, that made it hard. But I was a master at reading body language, years of seeing the expressions along with the heart rate, breathing, vascular constriction, tensing muscles, posture, all right there in front of me that IT went just like she thought. Nobody in the outer office did more than glance at her dot I in the boss office, the boss on the phone, put a hand out for a slip. Noticed Jill wasn't a phone drone, said something into hers, hung up. Jill launched right into it. Held her attention, got her listening. The boss was initially wary, arms crossed, leaned back, needing to be convinced. Jill used her whole body language, gestured at the outer office, mind being on a phone, mind being interrupted, counted on her fingers. Pointed out the office window at two empty desks, held up two fingers then one then none. The boss was relaxing, arms went to her side. I saw the moment when she became convinced. Her spine straightened. I could actually see her respond to some of the weight being lifted from her shoulders. Jill stopped talking exactly when she should have. A good judge of character, and she can't even see into the heart of reality. Just the surface stuff, and still she timed it perfectly. I knew I'd read the conversation right when the boss stood, reached out, shook Jill's hand. Jill shook back firmly, no wasted motion, the picture of efficiency. She made another remark, got a reply, nodded good day and left. Strode through the outer office again, not looking anybody in the face, in command of the situation. I stepped down the hall, pretended I hadn't been eavesdropping. She blew out the door, closed it carefully, and slumped against the wall. 
Well? I pretended I didn't know. Don't pretend you don't know. I got the job. You saw it. I was awesome. I stalked in like I owned the place, all businesslike, went right into her office, knocked but didn't even wait. She was all, who are you? And I was all I'm the one gonna make your life easy, double your business, run that outer office like a well-oiled machine. She was prove it, what's wrong with what I'm doing now? And I ran down the numbers, made them up as I went, the interruptions, the empty desks, the hiring distraction, turnover has to be high. When I had her, I saw it and stopped talking. Nothing I could do then but talk myself out of a job. I was so impressed, so proud of her. I admit to feeling a little proprietary about my protege. Impulsively I hugged her, a smile a mile wide. She returned the hug, then did a jig in place, twirled, laughed, put her hand to her mouth. We moved down the hall so they wouldn't hear too much inside. Let's celebrate. How about some tie? She was very agreeable. Lunch had been what? Two hours ago? A lot had happened since then, and young people get hungry a lot. And of course I could see her stomach was empty, lunch having moved well along. The waiter noticed us when we sat down, came right over. He started right in. How did you know? The pot was boiling over. I laughed easily. I can see through walls. Jill laughed too, easy, friendly. He was good-natured about it. Thought he was being kidded. Left it at that. We ordered pad thai. A good dish to see if a Thai restaurant knows its stuff. Easy to make. Easy to get wrong. They got it right. Not too sweet. Right mix of vegetables. Egg and shrimp done but not rubbery. Noodles not hard or gummy. Just right. A little heat. We ate silently for a while. Giving the food the respect it deserved. Then Jill sat back. Spoke up. I start day after tomorrow. Which gives me time to get the other suits. Maybe some more underwear. A jacket. I thought about it. Some casual clothes too. You can't wear those vacation togs forever. She made a face. I want to burn them. Nothing but bad memories there. I agreed. That was best. Make a clean break. Let's do the shopping on the way home. She thought that wise. Ready to do something. Anything to work off some energy. Mr. Nguyen doesn't have that kind of stuff. Not the lacy stuff. Kang could fit you with some really nice blouses, slacks. Anything else, sweaters, shorts, shoes will have to go someplace else. How much do we have available? She was concerned about money. But not the old way. Now it was just, how much do we have on us? I looked around, took my time, scanned deliberately, carefully. Spotted what we needed. Give me ten minutes behind that apartment building, we'll have all we need. She didn't question, just accepting my skills, respecting me. It felt good. Tagging along, she helped pull things out of a heap of discarded furniture, clothes, boxed books and so on. The entire contents of an apartment, left behind and ready to be hauled to the dump. Uncovering the box I wanted, ripping it open, I pulled out a lockbox. Found the key in a jar in a box of kitchen stuff, opened the cash box. Inside was several thousand dollars, bank bands still on the bills, hidden and discarded unrecognized. Why is this all here, do you think? Jill surveyed the detritus of a life, piled at the curb. Somebody moved without giving notice, somebody died, somebody got put away. We'll never know. But we saved this from the dump, and we'll put it to good use. Jill was all aboard the salvage train now. She was poking through the clothes, but they were all for somebody much whiter than her. I waited while she considered a vase, white glass with daisies enameled around the rim. Decided to keep it. I complimented her on her choice, it was good glass. The rest of the way home we took our time, visited a few discount stores, a thrift shop, but she quickly gave up, decided to move up the retail ladder. We went to a department store, visited every department. She made some really good selections, tried everything on, got a trousseau worthy of an office manager. The store delivered, agreed to pack her vase as well, deliver it with the rest. The fee was exorbitant but what did it matter? Money was to make your life go easier. Stopping in when she greeted Fuang like an old friend, went back with Kang, selecting blouses and slacks. Kang was happy and animated, pleased to be working with Jill, running her hands over her shoulders, her hips, chatting about color and fashion like sisters. I talked with Mr. Fuang. He was blunt. A new girlfriend? A concubine? A mistress? Now tell me everything. I colored, and he nodded. So, just an acquaintance so far. Fine, fine. But don't wait too long. She is a fine girl, very healthy, very young, will make a wonderful wife. You bring her here too much, and Kang will have her. Yes, I know my granddaughter, she is the modern sort. Girls can marry now, that is a fine thing, my Kang knows her own mind. She can be very persuasive. A sobering thought. Fuang put his hand on my shoulder, 
like a father to a son. You have a gift, but that is just a beginning, a talent to make some things easier. To make a life you must use it, get benefit from it, but with women, carefully. Carefully. Like a gentle songbird, pretty and sweet, but easily spooked. You can't keep her in a cage, so you must coax her, let her want to stay, so she doesn't fly away with another songbird. He made meaningful gestures to the back room where the girls were laughing, their voices high and sweet, raised his eyebrows, tilted his head. He knew. Of course he knew. He'd asked me to find missing objects before, somehow knew I had second sight. Respected it, as Vietnamese tradition admitted of such things, gifts from the gods of special insight. I bowed to Fuang in the Vietnamese way. Thank you, Mr. Nguyen, I will try not to disappoint you. Completely serious, respectful of this elder that meant me only good. He relaxed, bid me sit at his small table in the corner by his shrine, share his tea he kept hot and ready. Well, Ken kept it hot and ready, because she loved her grandpa. The girls took a long time back there. How many blouses could they try on? All of them, it seemed. No matter. Eventually they made selections, a group effort with Kang coaching Jill gently and expertly. Jill didn't blink, ordered five each of several blouse styles, slacks and four colors, two of each. Came out, kissed Fuang again, like a devoted daughter, hands on his cheeks. He had the good grace to blush. Paid my tab in cash, Fuang apologizing for the crass necessity, but accepting my bills all the same. Half our remaining cash disappeared in a blink. Left some on account, should Jill need anything unexpectedly doubt we made our departure, started the walk home, tired and happy. I like Kang. She's sweet. Has amazing style sense. And those hands. She can do the finest work. Jill saw I was alarmed, looked quizzical. I decided to come clean. Check your jacket pocket. She felt the wrong pocket, then the right one, came out with the note. Unfolded it, read it, understanding dawning on her features. The sweetheart. She wants a date, gave me her phone number. Jill looked alarmingly pleased at the thought that I tried to hide my unease, but Jill caught it. Here I thought I was an expert at body language, but I was apparently an open book to her. You're jealous. Greg. I'm flattered. That didn't sound good. Like what a girl said before letting you down gently? King is a sweetie, and I'm sure she's a firecracker in bed. Those hands. Wow. She was lost in thought for a moment. But I'm not a girly girl, not that way. She deserves to be treated with respect, have her feelings recognized, have some fun. I'll probably go out with her, have a good time, maybe even sleep with her once, but nothing more will come of it. My relief was apparently comical. Julian laughed anyway, punched me in the arm. I'm not gonna abandon my one friend, the man that saved my life, my X-ray superhero. Not without seeing where this is going where it might go. Yes, I like guys, I like you. I'm alive when I'm with you, living my full life, taking opportunities, trying things. Learning so, so much. I don't want to give that up. Doubt if you're willing, I'll stay, for as long as you want, as long as you'll have me. I blushed, deeply gratified, a little ashamed at my selfishness. But when you can't stand the sight of me, can't watch me gorge myself on pad thai one moment longer, can't stand my nagging questions about everything, well, then it can be over. Because something can be good, even if it ends. Even if it's sad that it ends. Doesn't erase one second of the good times, the fun and joy and friendship. It's all there, good and bad and indifferent. An amazing girl, wise beyond her years. I felt humbled, now that she'd put it out in the open it seemed plain that I felt I should return the respect. And when you can't stand to be around a peeping Tom, a constant voyeur, a jaded old cynic who's seen too much, a weird freak. Well then, you can leave that I promise you can. I can't see forever, things become muddled and crazy after a few blocks in the city, longer in the country. You want to lose me, you only have to get in a cab and go. She accepted that. Then took my hand in hers. We walked hand in hand, something like a boyfriend and girlfriend, back home. Next, a date with Kang. First day at work. Meeting some clients. More exploring. Sleeping together.